Let me just say that um, I, excuse me, I'm a little choked up. You have blessed me so much this morning. I apologize. The worship through music and the spirit of the Lord in this place and a couple of stories that uh, of life change that Pastor Tim has already shared. I've already had church. I can just go home. All right. Uh, but I won't do that. Um, I have a task to do. But let me just say this. This is a great church. You, you've been here 30 years. You know that. My uh, second time in experiencing worship with you. And, and uh, if you're a guest here, it's a good place to saddle your horse. I'm just telling you, this is a great church. Celebrations, burning notes, and, and uh, volunteers who have cleaned out homes on disaster relief and orphan care. I mean, y'all got it going on. It's good. It is good, and so um, I'm so proud uh, to be here today, and I'm honored to be here today, and I'm honored to stand in this pulpit of a church that's on the move, on the move for Jesus. And so, uh, and, and, and you, you, you celebrate the past, right? You, you, you burn the note, and, and you're debt-free, and you're embracing, is that what you're saying? Embracing the future. And so let's talk about that today, but I need help uh, from the big preacher, if you will, and I would like to pray and ask the Lord to uh, anoint my lips and my heart so that you don't hear Eddie, but you hear God. So let's pray. God, I need you today. My heart is full. And I am grateful to you. Thank you so much for the privilege of being able to share and to speak and to preach from the overflow of what you've done in my heart and my life. Thank you, God, that I can celebrate with this beautiful church here today. What a joy it is to hear the great stories and to hear the, the testimonies of people who have, who have uh, had life change in this place. Many, many here today would say, I found Jesus because of the influence of the pastor or a man or a woman, a dear saint of God from this church. And Lord, I know they've had loss in recent days. Lord, I pray that we could look back and celebrate lives And that we can rejoice and say thank you that we intersected for the time that we had. And as we look forward to embracing the future, may this church make a difference, not only in the areas that we've already heard about today, God, but I pray, I pray that this would be a shining beacon of light for miles and miles around, a place that is known for no other thing except they love Jesus there. They love Jesus there. They speak about Jesus there. They teach about Jesus there. They live Jesus. They walk Jesus. They manifest Jesus. And so I pray that this church would be known as a church that lifts up the name of Jesus. And that Jesus easily flows off of our lips and is easily seen in our lives as we walk from day to day. God, I pray today that the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God. And that you would remove your servant and that you would show up. Holy Spirit of God, would you do something special here today? I'm expecting to encounter you. I'm expecting something great from you. To visit with you today with my brothers and sisters who are in front of me. And I am honored to do so. It is a privilege and I take it as a distinct privilege to be able to speak on your behalf. Oh, God, and I need your unction and help to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. 
everyone hears or everyone should hear. It's on your outline there. I want to encourage you just to take some notes on that. If you don't want to do that, then you can take them in your Bibles as we get there in just a moment. Matthew 9.35. Just go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, Matthew 9.35. Before we actually read... um, Let me ask you this question right out of the gate, and it's on your outline, and you can fill in the words. When is the last time you heard enough of the gospel to make an informed decision to follow Christ? And then in parentheses, outside of the church. Part of what I'm doing is a gospel saturation initiative, and you heard Pastor Tim talk about that already. On April the 1st, I took a new position with Illinois Baptist, and what I am doing is I am attempting to encourage our churches to reach every Illinoisan, 13 to 14 million people. And it is estimated that 10 or 11 million of those 13 or 14 million do not know Jesus Christ. They don't have a relationship with God. And so my duties, my assignment rather, is to encourage Bethel Baptist Church, but not just Bethel, but our Southern Baptist brothers and sisters across the state, almost a thousand strong, to share the gospel all over the state of Illinois until it is very easy for people in Illinois to know and hear the gospel. And so hence the question, when is the last time you heard enough of the gospel to make an informed decision to follow Christ outside of your church? Now, most of the time in smaller churches, I usually have responses. A little bit larger crowd here today. Thank you for being here. But let me just tell you the number of responses and how uh, the the outcome. Most of the time, approximately 95% of the people that I ask this question to have not heard enough of the gospel in the past year to have made an informed decision about Jesus outside of their church. Now, Uh, The reason why I say outside of your church is because we want to put ourselves in the shoes of a man or a woman who does not know Jesus. So the average, I'm 49, the average 49-year-old man in Troy, Illinois, when is the last time, and he's lost, he doesn't know Jesus, um, when is the last time he would have been able to hear enough of the gospel outside of Bethel, outside of the churches around us, down the road, outside, when did he hear the gospel last? And more than likely, he has not heard enough of the gospel in the last year. And some have even said in their entire lives, enough of it to make an informed decision. He may have heard the term God. He may have heard the name of Jesus. He may even know the term gospel. By the way, I've been doing an informal survey in different restaurants and public places that I go to. And Pastor Tim, I ask people all the time, what is the gospel? And I say, please, this is not a trick question. I'm I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but if I ask you to define gospel for me, how would you do so? And we're talking about middle and southern Illinois, Springfield on down. And only one lady has even come close out of about 20 people, 25 now. Only one lady has come even close to answering in a manner that would suggest she understands what the gospel is. Out of about 25, and that, that seats with our numbers here, doesn't it? Four or five percent may or may not have heard enough of the gospel to make a decision. Ninety percent of lost people, fill that in, ninety percent of lost people are not going to church anywhere. And there's somewhere between 80 and 90 percent that won't go to church if they're lost. If they're lost. Now, uh, keep that in mind. And so let me ask you this question. If, if a lost person is not hearing the gospel outside of the church, 
And most of them, according to researchers and people smarter than me, most of them will not be going to church next week or the next week or the next week. Then how are they going to hear? Van Kickleiter, my supervisor, who actually wooed me and encouraged me until the Holy Spirit said, you need to do this. He has said this, and it's on your outline. It is hard to hear the gospel in Illinois. Now think about that. We've already proven that. When was the last time you heard enough of the gospel in order to make an informed decision about following Jesus outside of your church? The last time I heard it was the Billy Graham special when he died. You know, kind of a memorial of him. But here's the thing. I'm not sure the average 49-year-old man who doesn't know Jesus is going to be watching that. Right? Right. So it's hard to hear the gospel in Illinois. And I would even submit it's hard to hear the gospel in the United States couple of statistics on there that I'm not going to go over. Just read those as you get time. Van Kickleiter has said this before, and let me just say this. This is the statement that gripped my heart. My wife and I had opportunity either to take the position, this gospel saturation position in Illinois and stay here. We've been here almost 20 years now, but there was a church in Maryland. It was Maryland, right? Yeah, Maryland. That, um, that uh, had called us, and, and quite honestly, humanly speaking, at that same time, we had a choice between going to a, a, a really good church in Maryland or staying here in the state with this gospel saturation and working for the denomination and, um, and continuing to do so. And, and, and so my human bent was, you know, I really just would like to go and start afresh and anew in a new church in, uh, in an area that I've never been in before. And really, humanly speaking, I was leaning toward going to Maryland. And we really thought we were going that direction until one Friday night in the spring, two springs ago, Van Kickleiter had asked me this question or made this statement rather a few days before and God used this statement, this statement, to, um, to really change my heart. And it was that moment on the couch on a Friday night where he said, you need to stay. Here's the statement that helped woo me. People in Illinois are lost not because they have rejected the gospel. They are lost because they have never heard the gospel. We get so used to it in our churches. We hear the gospel every week. Pastor Tim preaches the gospel every week. There's an invitation to come to Jesus. Repent of your sins by faith. Come to accept Jesus and trust him as your Lord and Savior. And we hear it over and over and over and over and over again. And we just assume that other people are hearing the gospel. They don't know about Jesus. They don't know. It's not that they've rejected him so much. They don't know what the gospel is. And so we are missionaries. As Christ followers, we're missionaries right here in Troy. And wherever you may live, you're a missionary. And you may live across the street from a man or a woman or a teenager who's never heard the gospel. They may know the name of Jesus. They may have gone to church when they were a kid. They may say, I'm Catholic. They may say, I'm Episcopalian. They may even say, I used to go to a Baptist church, a Baptist church when I was younger. But they don't know enough of the gospel to make an informed decision about following Christ. 
And I don't know if you know this, but just, I, was, I was speaking with some of my colleagues at our annual association, which was just this past week. And I remember growing up in the 70s and the 80s. Those were good years. Um, I, I enjoyed those years. At least they were good for me. And I remember my father, who was very active in the Southern Baptist Church, my father would come home and every, almost every year he would bring home a, a big, thick book uh, or a, a, a kind of a satchel of, um, I, I don't know what you'd call it, but it was always some kind of new evangelism program that came from Nashville or Alpharetta. Southern Baptists were all about sharing the gospel with all of America by a certain point in time. And churches were on fire and, and, and the gospel was on the lips and pulpits were aflame with the gospel of Jesus. And we just don't hear quite as much about that these days. And I just want to tell you this. If we ever lose, as Southern Baptists, as Bethel Baptists, if you ever lose the flame and the fire of evangelistic zeal, we've lost it all. We've lost it all. The reason why Jesus left the church here on this earth was to witness to the nations that Jesus Christ is the way. He is the the truth. He is the hope of the world. So our duty as Christ followers as the church is to share the gospel with all of the world. The scripture teaches us that in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, if you'll look there with me. This is from the ESV. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. I like that word all, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. He didn't leave any out. Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every disease and every affliction. What did he do? He blessed the people. He healed them. He did exactly what you're doing for orphans. He did exactly what you're doing in disaster relief. Helping um, alleviate their pain and their hurt and their heartache. That's what Jesus did. But look what else he did. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw with spiritual eyes the men and women whom he loved so much. The men and women whom he knew he would die for. And he saw them and he had compassion for them. I just want to tell you this, my friend. Until you see your neighbor with those kinds of eyes. I just want to give a personal testimony. Most of the time, when I am not actively sharing the gospel, it's because my eyes are on myself. Myopic. I'm looking at my needs and I'm hurting and what about me? And uh, you get all you can, you can all you get, and then you sit on your can. I mean, you know, right? I mean, the, yeah, I mean, and, and so I don't share the gospel. And the reason why I don't share the gospel, most of the time, it's because my focus is not on the crowds and whom I should be having compassion, it's on me. What Jesus his example, what he does here, he looks at the ground. He sees them as they are. How are they? They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's easy to get angry at lost people. Why? Because they do things in the dark. 
and they stumble around and they cause issues and they cause problems and our world is darkened because people stumble around in the dark and we live in a difficult world. We know that. We know that. But instead of getting angry, God has he's convicted my heart. Instead of getting angry at them, why don't you show some compassion? Because if you were in the dark, you'd be doing the same thing. And if you were in the dark, you'd be doing the same thing too. You ever stumbled around in a dark room physically, right? I remember when we had young boys and they left toys in the middle of the floor and it was dark at night and I had to get up to use the restroom or go get a drink of water or whatever and you, you wouldn't see that you know, Lego on the floor and you stepped on it. It hurts really bad, doesn't it? And you stumble around. People in spiritual darkness act like people who are in spiritual darkness. So Jesus said they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That's what I'm here to call you to do. Will you be a laborer? That's the reason why your pastors encourage me to come. As we look toward the future, will you share the gospel? I'm just going to be real honest about it. Will you be active in sharing the gospel? And we're going to present a plan and a purpose. And your pastor is going to do that in greater detail as you move forward. But I just want you to make up your mind Make up your mind, I'm going to be the best witness for Jesus Christ I can be. He's the hope of the world, and I'm going to express that wherever I go. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. That's what I'm doing. I pray to God that not only Bethel, but First Baptist Bethalto, and that's one of the churches that signed on with the Everyone Hears initiative, and there are about 15 or 20 others at this point as well. And I pray, I pray at the end of the day that 983 churches, that's all of the Southern Baptist churches in Illinois, will be active in sharing the gospel. And maybe, just maybe, we'll reach all of our state. Now, not everybody's going to accept Jesus. We know that. Not everybody that came to Jesus responded in a positive manner to Jesus himself. But I can rest easier at night if I know they've had the opportunity to hear it. My duty is not necessarily to to persuade people or to push people to respond to Jesus. My duty and responsibility is there's there's so Jesus is so great. Why wouldn't you want to follow him? Jesus can change your life. He brings such hope. There's hope out of this world in heaven, but there's abundant hope while we live here. Why wouldn't anyone want to come to know Jesus and trade an old life for new? Why, why, why wouldn't you want to come and know the God of the universe who made you and everything around you? Don't you want a relationship with him? It's a good deal. It's a good deal. The God who created you and then you fell away because of willful sin has made a way through his son that you can be reconciled to him. Don't you want to come and know him? Gospel saturation, here's how we're going to do it. Gospel saturation means giving every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel so they can make an informed decision about following Jesus. By the way, let me say this before we get too far away. I want to ask you this question. This is not on your outline, but I would encourage you to write it somewhere on the bottom or maybe on the back. Do you know what is worse than being lost? Do you know what's worse than being lost? Have you ever been lost in the woods before? I have. As a child, I was lost in the woods one time. Got back home after dark. My parents were 
very fearful. Me and Eddie Offerman, that was my buddy at the time, we had wandered off way too far, and we were intrigued by the beefalo in East Tennessee. Beefalo, that is actually a real animal. It's a cross between a bison and a cow, a beefalo. You all know, so, all right, if you don't learn anything, well, I hope you learn more than that. There, there is such a thing as a beefalo, and we saw some of them, and like, we've never seen something like that before. It's bigger than a cow, but it's not a bison. Let's get closer. And so we just kind of wandered, and we just kept watching and watching, and we got home late. And uh, we were lost, because it was dark. You know what's worse than being lost? Being lost and no one looking for you. Isn't it comforting to know Somebody's looking for you. I'm wondering if we as Christ followers, as people of the book, as churches who love Jesus, will be looking and having compassion on those around us who are lost. Let me, uh, let me say this. It's on your outline there. Gospel saturation can change a nation. And I want to say it. Again, gospel saturation can change a nation. The vision for gospel saturation has to start with us. And I want you to know that this is not a new concept. It's found in in the book of Acts, Acts 19. And once again, um, I want to read to you Acts 19, verse 8. And, excuse me, and he entered the synagogue, that's Jesus, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Gospel saturation will not happen in a building. Look at, look at what happened here. When, 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 when there was preaching in the synagogue, you know, the, the modern day church in those days, for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But they became stubborn. They would not hear. And so what did he do? What did he do? He went into the public sector. What is the hall of Tyrannus? The hall of Tyrannus. This is Paul, by the way. I said Jesus is Paul. The, the hall of Tyrannus. And, and what did he do? It's a public location where they would debate. They would debate philosophies and religion and things like that. And so he went there. And what did he do? He continued to preach along with the disciples for two years so that all the residents of Asia. Oh, wait, wait, wait. All the residents of Asia. Uh, theologians think that was in the millions. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, that was before cell phones and before Facebook and for Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all the other um, social media. And what happened was an oral tradition passed from one to another to another to another. And two years, in two years, speaking in a public place, all of the residents of Asia, Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. It doesn't say that they all responded, but it does say they heard The word of the Lord. I want you to know that gospel saturation can change a nation. I want you to know this as well. It won't happen within the confines and walls of this building. We have to get out. Now, how are we going to do that? 
So let's just move to the next portion. And I want to spend the bulk of time here. I think I've got about 10 minutes left. I want to spend the majority of time here. And this is kind of an outline of what it looks like and what I've shared with your pastor and staff. Pray, care, share, disciple, reproduce. Just fill those blanks in. Pray, care, share, disciple, reproduce. Let's start with pray. What this, what this initiative does, it has five components, and the first component is prayer. This component means that, that your church, Bethel Baptist Church, chooses, selects, the leadership selects a certain ROA. What is an ROA? A region of accountability. Let me, let me just put it in a little bit more colloquial term where you can understand a little bit better. It's an area where you say everybody within this area is going to hear about the gospel if I have anything to do with it. You, I, I like the way Charles Campbell, my former supervisor, used to say it. He said, we're going to own lostness. We will own lostness in this particular area. And I make a circle. It may not be a circle. It may be a hypotenuse or a triangle or a, I don't know, I don't know, whatever your leadership desires and feels like an area, a region of accountability that this church can saturate every household Every household, I said every household, and you pray for the residents therein, and then what you can do, these kinds of things, listen, 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 what if a church, what if you were a lost man or a lost woman, and um, a church uh, prayer walked by your house, and they always get these ugly lime green shirts, I don't know why that is, or bright orange, so maybe y'all have those, I'm sorry if you do. Anyway, and, and anyway, on the back of it, it said, how can we pray for you? And on the front of it, it says Bethel Baptist Church. And all you're doing, you're prayer walking around this ROA, this area you're owning lostness, and you're prayer walking, and you're praying, and you've got your list here on your phone or a paper list, and, you're, and the Johnsons live here, and the Smiths live here. Lord, it looks like there's, a, there, there's some little ones in this home, and there's a bicycle out here. And we, we pray that the whole Johnson family... The whole Smith family. You put your neighbor. What's the neighbor that lives across? What's the neighbor that lives on both sides of you? What are their names? What are their names? In my case, it's Barnes. Barnes. And so what I would say is, Lord, I pray that all four people in the Barnes family, Andy and Bethany and Ace and the little daughter, the little girl, that all of them would come to know Jesus. And give me opportunities and over time, Lord Jesus, would you have your Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit, would you, would you work in their heart and woo them and use me to do it. And so you pray for them and not just one time, but two or three times. And maybe what you'll want to do, and this is your leadership, y'all make this decision, not me. Uh, you, you may send them a card and you say on that card, we just want you to know that we love you and we have prayed for you by name. By name, we have prayed for you. We've prayed for your entire household. And you may want to, we've prayed for, we've prayed for health. We've prayed for a, a great Thanksgiving, a great Christmas. Whatever you want to put on there and, and you send it to them. And then the next month or two months later, whatever the frequency is and however large your area is, you pray for them again. And maybe you have some ladies in the church that meet and have a prayer meeting. Why, it, how easy would it be just to write a note, a handwritten note, and send it to them? And you mail it to them, and then you see them at the local uh, 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 um, uh, grocery store, and, and you see them, and you recognize them, maybe their name, maybe their face. I don't, I don't know, but then you're able to say to them, I just want you to know that we've been praying for you. And they say, well, you don't even know me. That's right, we don't know you at all, but we care about you. 
You'll be able to say that. We've prayed for you by name. And you do that two or three times. And the, the ideal is somewhere between three and six months that you would pray for every person. Every person on multiple occasions. And usually you can accomplish that by praying for one, maybe two families a day. So there's a lot more I could say there. But you're praying for the, primarily for the salvation of the household. And then you move into the care phase. The care phase. Um, it, it's a service phase. So you give every home, you see that on your outline, in the region of accountability, the opportunity to be served or cared for through engaging practical, practical, compassionate ways. Imagine you've got a crusty man. He's 50 years old. He's 49 and he's crusty. He's been hurt by the church. He doesn't know Jesus, right? And um, he's, he complains about the church. He doesn't like the church. And because he doesn't like church, he doesn't feel like Jesus is even worthy of his thoughts. Maybe, I, anyway, you get the picture, right? And so some, some crazy church member, right, walks by in a lime green church, shirt and prays for that household. And then you send him a card. What are these people doing praying for me? I don't want their prayers. And then you do it again. These, what, what are they doing? And then you do it again. And then, six months later, you, you say to, uh, to the household, you invite them to come. I don't know, whatever y'all do, you do, whatever y'all do in your normal scheme of, of church life, and you invite them to a, a trunk or treat, or a women's outing, or a men's you know, wild game night, or whatever, and you invite them to come. Now, he's probably not going to come, but he gets the invite and he's already received a couple of prayer cards that you've prayed for him. And now you're inviting him to a men's event or a women's event. And he gets two or three invites over a period of three or six months, however long it takes you to saturate and serve that. Maybe you take a little nine-volt battery and you take it to every home in the ROA and you say, we love you and we care about you and we just want to give you this nine-volt. And you put it in your smoke detector and, you know, you need to change it out during the holidays. And if you, it's hard for you to reach, you know, if it's not too weird, we'll be happy to help you do that. And, and you, just, you just let them know that you bless them and you love them. And so you prayed for them and you've told them that you are. You've served them, you've invited them to know that we care about you. And what you're doing is earning the right to share the story, the greatest story ever to fall on human ears. You're earning the right to share the story with the ROA. Those individuals who need to know about Jesus, who are stumbling around in the dark, the very ones that we have compassion for. You say, why are you doing it this way? My good friend in the office at IBSA, his name is Doug Morrow. Doug Morrow, very, very, he could be the smartest guy in the building. I'm telling you what, that dude is brilliant. Anyway, he's got a term that I like to use. He's with the Illinois Baptist Foundation, and um, uh, actually he leads it. And he says, Eddie, he says, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll just get our gospel gun, right? And we'll, we'll put it out the window, and we'll just do drive-by evangelism. That's what he calls it. Drive-by evangelism. Poof, 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 poof. We just shoot the gospel out there and just hope it gets some traction, right? Poof, 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 poof. And it hits whoever it hits. Well, you know as well as I do that that is not as effective as a process. And I can prove it. I've got something on order right now from Amazon. I know where it is. It's in Edison, New Jersey, right now. And it originated from one of their warehouses somewhere in Kansas. And it's going to arrive at my house on Tuesday. And I'm going to use it next Sunday in a worship service at, uh, up in, uh, 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 help me, Pam, where am I? Savoy, Savoy, Savoy. And, and 
you know what? I sure am glad that they take my hard-earned money and then they tell me, here's where it is. It's going to be here. Oh, it's going to be late. You ever gotten one of those? You order from Amazon. It's going to be late. Sorry, we've had a problem. It's going to be an extra day. Their process is just brilliant. Well, you know what? We moved to the country. My wife and I, beautiful wife, right there on the front row. Her name's Pam. We moved to the country when we moved up to Springfield. We live in that booming metropolis of Glen Arm, which is 10 miles south of Springfield. And we moved. There's a cornfield right here and a soybean on the other side. Soybean field, right? Well, the cornfield, because it was closer, I was able to observe the farmer. And you know what? The weirdest thing happened. He didn't just all of a sudden wake up one spring day and go planting corn. He didn't do that. Now, I'm not a farmer, and I'm not the son of a farmer, but I'm smart enough to recognize the process. Here's what he did. He tilled it up with his great big John Deere tractor. And then he went over it again, right? Because it was hard after the snow and the rains. You know, after all winter, it was hard, so he tilled it up, right? He tilled it up. And then... He, he, he wasn't ready to plant the seed. Not yet. Not yet. What did he do next? Huh? Fertilize. That's right. I saw you. I saw you. Uh, he got these great big old tanks, right? And I guess they get stolen a lot. These great big old tanks. And he came along and he pulled the same tractor and he pulled it. And I guess it, it, it dropped. The, it, I, I don't know what it is, but it's fertilizer of some sort. And he, and he put that on it. And then as far as I know, he waited a little while for that to work into the ground. And then he came along and he dropped the corn in the ground. And then the corn started coming up, and it was probably that tall, up to my knees. And then I heard a plane buzzing over my house one day. You know, and I'm like, what is going on here, right? I moved out to the country to have solace and peace and quiet. And all of a sudden, there's a plane like 20 feet from the top of my house. Well, what was he doing? Huh? Pesticide. Pesticide, right? And he was flying over, and he was dropping the pesticide. On the, uh, on the corn. And it, it worked too. Because I watched it. And then he waited until what? About a month ago? About a month ago? And then all of a sudden we saw the great big machines. The harvesters. And uh, I'm just kind of a, uh, a combine. There you go. Thank you, bud. Uh, not, not a harvester. I told you. I didn't, thanks for the correction anyway. I appreciate that. Um, so these big combines come through there. And I mean they'd rattle my house, right? Just brrr, And they just all oh, the corn. It was amazing to watch this. But it was a process. It was a process. He didn't just come and poke a seed in the ground. Just the spring started to break. He had a process to it. Don't you think people will be more open to the gospel after you've prayed for them? And after you've cared for them? And there's a pattern of this in scripture in several different places. We saw one earlier. The gospel of the kingdom was preached and Jesus went and healed every disease and affliction. So let's move forward. I'm running out of time. Share, give every person in the ROA multiple opportunities to clearly hear the gospel multiple times so they can make an informed decision about, G- about Jesus. That may be two by two, door to door. Now, I know you've heard some of them say that's dead. It may be dead in some places, but I'm not so sure it's dead. I'm not so sure it's dead. I heard somebody in Lexington, a pastor in Lexington of a younger church, a millennial church, and he said, I just want you to know that we've been going two by two, and millennials want to have spiritual conversations, and we're finding that it is very effective in our context. So it could be two by two. 
It could be yard signs. By the way, I've got 3,000 of them. Everyoneheres.org. It's not populated yet, so it's just a blank page. But what it's going to have on it is going to have a simple gospel presentation. Everyoneheres.org. And those, they're very, very good-looking signs. You'd be proud to have one in your yard. And I've got 3,000 of them. Be happy to give you a number of those. And you can put them in your yard, put them in your church. Now, I'm going to tell you, your ROA Unless they just don't get out of the house, out of the house, they would see a yard sign within just a couple of weeks. They would see it, guaranteed, guaranteed. Unless they're just a hermit, all right. And then I know that Sammy Simmons down at Emmanuel and Benton, they got they're they're getting two billboards, two billboards, and and it's going to have a gospel presentation, a short gospel presentation you want to know more go to the here their website right and so there are billboards and then there are yard signs you can go door to door what about some free things facebook testimonies here's what i was before jesus here's what happened when jesus came into my life and here's what bless god i am now after he has saved me facebook testimonies one minute long don't make them longer than one minute people will click off they won't watch them one minute 20 seconds 20 seconds 20 seconds you might even set a booth up out here where you help some if you don't know how to do that we'll set it up and help you give a testimony one minute long here's what i was here's what jesus did here's what i am and you put that on Facebook. And what if your whole church did that on one day? One day your whole church on Facebook just swamped it with one-minute testimonies of Jesus. I think that'd get a little bit of attention, right? And I mean, all kind of, it's limited only by the imagination of your church. How to share the gospel. We've got 10,000 gospels of the ESV of Mark downstairs in the basement of IBSA. Happy to give you some. 10,000 ESV Gospels of Mark. Very nice. Mark, beautiful. I'm just telling you, we will come alongside you and we will help you share the gospel. And here's the thing. We want to make it easy for those people in the ROA. This is your ROA. It could be 1,000. It could be 5,000. It could be 10,000. Whatever your leadership thinks you can handle. But every person, every person, every person within that ROA Hearing the gospel, seeing the gospel, understanding where they can find the gospel, multiple occasions. Friends, we want to make it hard for people to go to hell. I'm just going to be blunt about it. We want them to hear the gospel. It's all about Jesus. It's about sharing what Jesus has done for us. And so we share, pray, care, share. So we plowed and we fertilized and we planted the seed. What are we going to do after people come? What are we going to do after they come to know Jesus? And there will be some. Just get ready. Get, you better get ready. I'm telling you, he's faithful. You lift up Jesus and people are going to be coming to him. I'm just telling you, you need to get ready after you pray for them and care for them and share with them. Not everybody's going to come, but I tell you one thing, some will. I stand on the word of God when I say that, friends. Some are going to come to know Jesus. We're faithful He's faithful. When we do what he's asked us to do, they're going to be people and they're going to come to know Jesus. You may have to start a third service or another campus. I don't know. I pray to God you have to go into another debt. Why? You know, because you've got so many people coming, you know Jesus, and you have to help them have a, a pathway to maturity. To friends, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. A contagious church. Let me just tell you this. I'm reading a book right now. It's an older book. It's called, it's by Mark Middleberg. It's called The Contagious Church. The Contagious Church is aflame with the gospel of Jesus. There's evangelistic zeal. I want to tell you what. Mm, woo! When the, mm, come on now. When the, ba- oh, when the baptismal waters are stirring. Oh, when they're stirring. I'm going to tell you what. You, 
I stepped into a church just a few weeks ago. And the moment I stepped in, I knew revival was occurring. There wasn't a note played yet. But the moment I stepped in, there was a sense. The Spirit of God was there. And they had baptized like nine weeks in a row, like 40 different kinds of people. Uh, for, not, not kinds of people, sorry. Different people, yes, right? They didn't repeat. But um, uh, I, Sometimes my lips get ahead of my brain, sorry. Uh, listen, listen. When people are coming to know Jesus and they're being baptized and you have the opportunity... Everybody gets excited about a new baby. Everybody gets excited about a new baby. And we're so proud. We want to nurture and take care and love them. I'm just telling you. This, it, it, there, there have been times in services of corporate worship where the Spirit of God was doing such incredible things. I just didn't want to leave. And most of those times were when people were either coming back to Jesus, revived, or coming to Jesus for the first time. It's contagious, friends. You won't be able to beat people off with a stick. And you wouldn't want to. Because we have to move on to the disciple phase. What is it? You're just providing a pathway for maturity. You provide a pathway for maturity for each person who follows Christ. And then reproduction. Multiply the EH process to other regions and start new churches or new campuses. I used to pastor a church where we started the North Campus. And then after I left, they started a West Campus. And they continue to start campuses. I don't know what you think about this, but wouldn't it be great if you had to think that way? Wouldn't it be great if you had to think that way? Because so many people were coming to the main campus. I don't bank at the main branch. I, I bank at, uh, at one of the satellites because it's more convenient and it's easier. So I don't know. I don't want to get too far out of my lane here. But I pray that you have to think in those ways. I, have to pr- I pray that you have to start thinking in those manners as you move forward. Amen. Reproduction. So pray care. Just on the blue circles, it's pray in the top, care, share, disciple, reproduce. And I'm going to close with a quote by C.H. Spurgeon. He was called the Prince of Preachers. And by the way, he preached to 10,000 people in the Metropolitan Tabernacle before they had things like this. They didn't have the microphones and the speakers. And so people were deathly quiet. If a baby cried, they immediately took the baby out. It was amazing. They immediately, because people couldn't hear. There were 10,000 people in the Metropolitan. And he's, so on a regular basis, he would preach. And people, you could hear just stillness. And can't you just imagine 10,000 people a couple hundred years ago listening to this and Spurgeon would thunder, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they must perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled through the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. I echo that statement and I agree with wholeheartedly what that great preacher said hundreds of years ago. And I pray that your heart would burn hot and that you would get excited about sharing what Jesus has done in your life. And there'll be some training and there'll be some help for you. I'm sure your pastor will decide all of that. But pray. 
Start, you can start praying now. Pray. Have a list that you're praying for. My list consists of Travis and Laura and Gunner and Brandon and my neighbors, the Barnes. And slowly but surely, I'm going to have conversations with them. And relationships are being built where they trust. And I, want, I just want to encourage you to make a list. Who are you praying for to be saved? Who are you praying for to be saved? Who needs to be saved around you? I'm done. And so I just want to call us to an invitation time. And uh, Pastor, I'm assuming that you'll stand here and, and uh, if the musicians come and just play. Let me, uh, let me uh, have a word of prayer with you and give you a challenge as how to respond. Would you just pray with me? As those of you who are here today who do not know Jesus, I want to pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, would you save someone today? There may be someone, a man or a woman, a senior, a youth, that needs to know you. And so if that describes you, my friend, my young friend, my senior friend, you say, what do I need to do to come to know Christ? Here's what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us that we need to repent of our sins and by faith come to know Jesus. We repent of our sins and by faith we come to know Jesus. Repentance means, repentance means that you turn away from those things that you know are wrong and displeasing to God in your life. Everything. You say, I can't do that on my own. Exactly. And so you lean upon Jesus and what he did on the cross. And you say to him, God, it is my intention through your son Jesus to follow him and to make him the Lord of my life. And I turn away from those things in my life that I know are wrong. Are you willing to do that today? Will you repent of your sin? Let me just tell you what you gain. You gain abundant life here on this earth. And until you get to heaven, you'll have that walk, that closeness. The God of the universe walks with you. And then when you pass from this earth, you'll have eternal life forevermore in heaven. That's the reason why we live, friends, to bring glory to God. And one day I'll give glory to him in an eternal body, in the celestial city. And I'm praying that you'll be there too. Will you repent of your sin and by faith come to know Christ? For those of you here today who are Christ followers already, are you praying for others to come to know Jesus? Building relationships intentionally so that you can get to a conversation about who Jesus is. Just in the normal, everyday activity of your life. So there are two challenges for you today, and I'm going to be quiet. The first challenge is for those who do not know Jesus. Will you repent and come to know Jesus? For those Christ followers in this room, will you start to pray for people around you who need Jesus? At school, at work, at home. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. I pray that people would respond to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.